0: As Jesus has finished the Sermon on the Mount, the people stand in amazement and they say, He speaks with great authority, not like our scribes. There's a contrast in chapter 7 of Matthew, verses 28 and 29. Let me actually just read those verses for you. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as scribes. We understand that the scribes, as they taught, they taught based upon tradition. They taught based upon, well, here's what somebody else said, and here's what somebody else said. And they were the ones kind of down the line, passing the information along. But the way Christ is speaking is different. He's not saying, hey, I read this book. Or even in regards to myself, or Mr. Powers, or anyone who stands up here... We don't stand on our own authority. The only authority we have is to say, Thus saith the Lord. But not so with Christ. For the people are seeing this. The Sanhedrin said of Jesus, they answered, speaking to one another, No one has ever spoken like this man. There was something unique. I want to take just a little bit of a excurses back to the the Sermon on the Mount look with me in Matthew chapter 5 throughout the throughout the Sermon on the Mount Jesus says a particular phrase look at verse 21 of Matthew 5 he says you have heard that it was said and then he tells them what they've heard And then there's a contrast. But I say to you. Really throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount in verse 21, he says this. Verse 27 of Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said. Verse 28, but I say to you. Verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said. Verse 34, but I say to you. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said. Verse 39, but I tell you verse 43 you get the point jesus is continuing to say you've heard these things and as jesus was teaching the sermon on the mount what he was doing is he was showing how the the teachers of the law had been teaching the the superficial things and not the heart of the truth of the gospel presented throughout all the old testament that jesus is saying you you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth But Jesus says, but I say to you, even if you're angry, you've committed murder in your heart. Jesus is speaking with authority on that which they have missed. Throughout the Old Testament, they were just taking the letter of the law and not looking at the heart of it. And Jesus is opening their eyes to see how broad the law is. That it hits not just the outward actions, but it hits our inward motivations. And in this, Jesus is speaking to to bring this clarity. And in a response, the people say, this man is speaking with authority. Because he's not saying, hey, you have heard that it was said, but it says over here this. Notice his words. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And so the question is, how does he have the right to say that? And the people are noticing this difference here. The scribes may have been experts in the law. They may have had all of the degrees, but they had to stand upon the law's authority or their interpretation of it. But Jesus was standing upon His own authority. For He was the Word incarnate. He was the Word of life. Even John in John 1 speaks of that. In the beginning was the... What's the title He gives Christ? Was the Word. For he was the one who was made flesh. He was the one who could speak with authority because he was not just, as we've seen in Luke and the rest of the gospels, he was not just a man, he was the God man. So when he spoke, he was not relaying truth, he was exhibiting it and proclaiming it because he was truth. Jesus says in John fourteen six, I am the way, the what? The truth. And so he's speaking with an authority that they're not used to. And it's an authority that we're not used to because no man can claim this authority but Christ, who is the God-man. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Does it mean that Mr. Powers and I cannot speak with authority? Absolutely not. But the only time we can speak with authority is when we can say, Thus saith the Lord. Any other time it's, Well, here's a suggestion. But when we understand what is the, the truth that we turn to, what is the supreme rule of life? It's the word of God. And Christ is the word incarnate. Therefore, he speaks with authority. His words have authority. And notice where is he teaching these things? In the synagogue. Proclaiming to them that, you know what, you're hearing a lot of truth. You're hearing a lot of Words. But make sure it's according to my truth, which is the truth, which is the true interpretation of the passages that they were reading. In John chapter 7, Jesus said this phrase, these words of mine, pointing that he's recognizing that these are his words, the words that trump all others. Just a little side note, Jesus wasn't contradicting he wasn't saying that they needed to throw out those things. He was showing the breadth of the law throughout the whole um, Sermon on the Mount. So we see here, first of all, his, tr- his power or his authority over truth. But notice in, verse, notice in verse 33 now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. Even reading that in several passages and looking at it in the Greek, it's an awkward sentence. You have several things. It says, a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. Why all the the words there to to describe all those adjectives? The only thing I can kind of come up with is that, again, this is being written to Theophilus. Theophilus probably had a lot of Greek uh, mindsets in him. And the Greeks believed that there were Good spirits and evil spirits. And so, kind of clean spirits and unclean spirits. And so, Luke, in stating this, is helping the, the reader, Theophilus, and then us, to understand that, let us not be misunderstood. There, there's, this is a demon. And there's not a good and bad demon. They're all bad. But this demon that speaks up. And Jesus says to him, Be quiet and come out of him. Jesus rebukes him. And in doing this, we see verse 35 and when the demon had thrown him, meaning the man who the demon was possessing, in their midst, it came out of him and it did not hurt him. Jesus speaks to the demon and the demon comes out completely. There is no like kind of partial. There's no question here. the authority of Christ in His word casts out the demon. Now just a little uh, uh, side note on, on demons. Where do demons come from? They are the one-third of the angels that fell with Lucifer. You ask me how many? Hebrews, I think it's 12, says, "We don't know. Uh, the, the number of angels are innumerable, but one-third of them fell. And the demons are really, we don't see much of it except for the life of Christ. The opposition to the Messiah's work of ministry. And the demon possession would be an unclean spirit taking over a person. And at times we will see that the demons would speak out through them like here. Other times there would be the controlling of body and literally they couldn't, um, they couldn't, uh, control the person so they tie him or bind him with chains. But we see that Christ is not just some man. He has authority over demons. But in the rebuking, notice what he says. Be quiet and come out of him. Daryl Bach stated this, Jesus, unlike other exorcists, uses only his word and forgoes the usual rituals and incantations. Jesus with just a word. There wasn't like, hey, go find this animal and these herbs and we need to do this and, and we need to do this and we need to pour this over this person, this needs to be the situation. No. Because his authority lied in his words. And as he proclaimed, get out, the demon submitted to Christ because Christ was the authority. John in his epistle in 1 John 3 says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Destroy to completely undo Really, we see Christ's authority over demonic powers, even in Luke 4, the beginning of our chapter, in Christ's temptation. He was able to resist the devil devil in his own strength. How are we able to resist the devil? Through the power of Christ. It's not in our own strength. But the authority which Christ has is over demons, Over the truth. But then look. In verse 38. We're going to come back to the passage in just a moment. To look at some other things. But I want us to see Christ's authority. Verse 38. Now he arose from the synagogue. And entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother. Was sick with a high fever. And they made a request of him concerning her. So he stood over her. And rebuked the fever. And it left her. And immediately she rose. And served them. So we see Christ's authority in the areas of truth. We see Christ's authority over demons. And here we see Christ's authority over sickness. You could say authority or power. Those are somewhat interchangeable. But you have Peter. His mother-in-law. And yes. Peter was married. Uh, Some have... Just to kind of give you a little information, some people have tried to attack uh, the fact that uh, Peter is said to be from Capernaum, but also Bethsaida. And so, and so some people say, well, here's a contradiction in Scripture. Yet we understand that Bethsaida was where he was born, and Capernaum is where he's living. If I were to say I'm from Boise, Idaho, I haven't lived in Boise, Idaho for 18 years, but I'm from there but i'm currently living in williams bay that's my home and so this is the same issue but sometimes it just catches us off guard if somebody comes up to you and says well i heard peter was born here but he also here that's the answer it's not too complex but peter is married and his mother-in-law is sick As with most things in Israel, there's a shrine, actually a whole building, uh, built over the top of a first century home that they believe was Peter's mother-in-law's house. And you go into this building, I believe it's a church, and they have glass floors, and you can look down and kind of see the outlines of the house. And this would have been, uh, by tradition's sake, the place where this miracle takes place. But again, as Jesus does this, how does he do this work? By a word. He speaks and he rebukes the fever. I'm sorry, but I've never seen a doctor rebuke a fever and it go. God has given us the means of certain medicines that are helpful. But Christ is showing his authority, first again, over truth, over demons, and over sicknesses. What's interesting is we see Christ's authority on display, and that which he says will happen always happens. And it doesn't just happen a little bit, it happens fully. Look at what happens when he rebukes the fever. The fever, it says, it left her, and immediately she arose and what? Went and took a nap? No, she served them. She was healthy enough to just be full-on serving, to see that Christ's authority is not just kind of sufficient, it's completely sufficient, that his authority is... Fully over demons. It's fully over the truth. There's no in-between here. And so we see the beauty of Christ here. That he is not just kind of a truth. He is the truth. He is not just kind of a way. He is the way. And he is the authority. I was really taken aback when I read one author say this. The very thing that the devil promised to give Jesus in his temptation, that authority, has come to Jesus as a consequence of resisting the devil. Do you realize that one of the temptations Jesus had from the devil was, hey, just bow down to me because I have authority. But notice what the devil offered him was limited excuse me, limited authority. He says, because I've been given the power of this air and I can give it to you. But yet Christ has authority over that. He did not give in to that. He was completely sovereign over all. So we see Christ's authority is not just kind of a partial. It's a complete. It's a complete over truth, over demons, over sicknesses. You can look at other portions. You can see over weather, over everything. But let's go back and let's see the reaction to Jesus' authority. To see how different people respond to the authority of Christ. Back to verse 32. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. We see that the crowds were amazed. Uh, Verse 36, it happens again. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves. I I was kind of doing some word studies with verse 32 and 36 what does astonished mean and what does amazed mean? In the Greek, astonished means astonished, and amazed means amazed. Uh, there were two different words given. There's not a, I was trying to look for like some big clue to say, wow, here's the big difference of why Luke uses these words, and it's just, those are what he chose. They were in amazement. But notice why they were amazed. They were amazed at his authority. Down in verse 36, after the rebuking, they were amazed with the authority and the power he commands. They weren't amazed at, wow, he's a handsome looking man. They were amazed at the authority with which he spoke. It was a ruling authority. A ruling authority over the scribes to say, this is what is truth. It was a ruling authority over demons to say, no, you are out. And as a response, the crowds were amazed, but they began bringing their sick and demon-possessed to Christ. They recognized he had authority, they recognized he had power, and they were going to him for help. This is an interesting contrast because how do the demons respond to Christ? They were aware of who he was. They were in awe as well and you could almost say a fear. Because look at the look at the reaction of the demon in verse 34. The voice speaks through the man saying, "Let us alone." That is plural. Whether there are multiple demons or just a representation of what the demon represented, a whole demonic powers, we're not sure. Let us alone. What have you to do with? Uh, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Do you come to destroy us? But notice what the demon says. I know who you are. And what is the confession that the demon gives? The Holy One of God, the one whom has been anointed. The demons were aware of who Christ was. Look down in verse 41. Jesus laid his hands on the people, and every one of them were healed verse 41, and demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, "You are the what? Christ, the Son of God." And he rebuking them did not allow them to speak for they knew he was the Christ. Why does Jesus rebuke the demons and tell them not to speak? Uh, There's a lot of potential answers for that. I think we just need to speak with the fact Luke gives us and it says, for they knew he was the Christ. What does that mean? Is Jesus trying to hide his identity? Does he not want the confession of the... um, The unclean spirits to be seen as credible again don't know but notice the demons were aware and they confessed the name of Christ they called him the son of God the holy one of God the Christ nowadays we would baptize these people and say they were saved they confess Jesus is Christ. But who are these? These are unregenerate demons proclaiming the name of Christ. They knew who he was. I think something that just stood out to me this week is just a reminder that we need to be careful of just taking people's words and saying, wow, look at what they said. Because knowledge of Christ and even a fear of Him does not mean that we are saved. James 2.19, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder or they tremble. We need to caution ourselves in just kind of say, Well, hey, this person said the name Jesus. They must be a follower of Christ. Again, I'm just giving us a word of caution. But we see that the response, the crowds were amazed. And yet, they were amazed. They didn't necessarily have that confession, but what did they do? They responded in faith, coming to Jesus, because they saw that he could meet a need. Is this salvific? We're going to see that many times they came just for a meal and Jesus rebuked them but they were stepping out in that faith seeing that he was the answer. But the demons though they had a great confession, there was not a real, a real change that had taken place nor could there be. But I think it's good for us to ask this question. Why is Luke why is Luke recording these things? Why is he out of all the things he could record and we understand that Jesus has worked many miracles beyond that which are recorded in the scripture. Why record these ones? I think we need to understand that, number one, the reason for miracles show that Christ's authority confirm Jesus' identity, who he was. To prove that who he was, that he was the Holy One of God. As Luke 1.35 kind of alludes to, the angel speaking to Mary said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. John 6.68, Simon Peter answers Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want to not allow my words to be misunderstood. Christ's miracles were to confirm his identity. The apostles worked miracles. So did it mean they were the Christ? No, because on what authority did they do those miracles? On Christ's authority. It was a reflection back to where their authority came from, not in of themselves, but upon Christ's authority. Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. As we've been reminded that Christ is doing his work through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as Christ is healing, it's a, it's a beautiful picture and a foretaste of Revelation 21. And God will wipe away every tear from the eyes and there shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. There will be a day when Christ's full authority is placed upon him. And that Satan is eternally cast away. Not just demons who are put away and then sometimes another demon springs up another place. It will be absolute authority for he will be seated on his throne in full authority. But also in his full authority there will not be the sicknesses and death. He is that amazing word of life that we will be able to see no longer by faith but by sight. But Jesus' miracles showing his authority also confirm the message which he was proclaiming. It, it almost sounds like it's an argument that's supporting itself. But notice what Jesus is saying at the end of our passage in verse 42. Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. Because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Do you realize what Jesus says here? Luke has just recorded two clear miracles in a, a series of other miracles. And what does Jesus say he's there to do? To preach the kingdom of God. The people of Galilee are saying, no, we want you to kind of stay here. Keep doing what you're doing right here. And Jesus doesn't say, I need to go keep healing other people. He says, my purpose is to preach the kingdom of God, to preach the kingdom of heaven. Notice the emphasis of Christ's ministry was not on the miracles. They were just to be that which undergirded and supported, that showed that Christ is who he said he was. And often we can try to seek the experiential from Christ. Those things which are on the outlines and which we see Christ doing and he did and he loved the people. We see the compassion upon him when it says those who came with diseases, he laid hands on them. Even the man with leprosy, we'll see, he puts his hands on him. We see the compassion of Christ, but we see the focus of Christ was to preach the kingdom He says in verse 43, I must preach. That word there is evangelion. What's it sound like? Evangel, the good news. The proclamation of the good news. If Jesus was there to just heal people, how is that good news? It's good news to a select few who are sick, who are Possessed, Absolutely. But Christ is saying, My message is much more greater than a physical healing. But it's a spiritual healing. It's a good news of that which we are separated from God, needing to be made right with Him. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Miracles were not the end goal or focus of the ministry. The teaching of the message was His priority. I'm blanking on who I quoted this from, but all glory goes to God anyways. The mere fact that the eternal Son of God undertook the office of a preacher should satisfy satisfy us that preaching is the one of the most valuable means of grace. I don't say that because I'm the one teaching, but I say it because of the conviction of just as I was studying the passage look at what Christ's focus was was to proclaim the word of truth and often our hearts are tried to be drawn to well I believe it's true because I've experienced this over here or I believe that it's true because I felt this over here or I saw this happen but what's Jesus saying it's the the truth of his word Because Christ isn't just any good teacher. He is the teacher. He isn't just someone to add to our list of good people. We have the joy of being able to have his word written. To have it completed. To have it be sufficient. But as he came proclaiming the word... I just challenged myself this week, how much do I love the word that he's given? Do I see the authority that it has in my life, and do I submit to the authority that it has? As Christ spoke, he spoke truth. As he spoke, he rebuked the demon. As he spoke, he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And he still speaks today. Do you ever want to hear God speak out loud to you? Read his word out loud to you. Because that is God speaking to us. And it's the beauty. But the same authority which we see on the pages of Luke here are the same authority that should be applied into our life every day. That it is a truth that is like no other. And we can submit to it in joy, knowing that it is sufficient to see the compassionate Savior through it all. Loving and caring, but providing and making a way of salvation. How is he able to make salvation? Because he was the one who had authority over death. Because death could not hold him. He paid the payment for sin. So that we, by faith and repentance, can receive the gift because we have all sinned and fall short. Of that glory of God. But as Luke is presenting Christ. He shows his authority. And he shows his authority through his spoken word. May we love that spoken word. As we have it recorded in the scriptures. Let's pray. Father thank you for your word. And thank you for the glory of Christ. Father, we confess how often we do not turn to Christ. We do not turn to him for our hope, but we put our hope in other things. But yet, remind us from your word today that Christ is the one who is mighty to save. He is the one who is able to heal the physical infirmities, but he, more importantly, is the one who is able to heal our spiritual infirmity of sin. Lord, today shine the truth of your word into our lives. Lord, that we might know it, that we might love it, that we might see your glory and cause us to walk differently. Cause us to walk with faith. Cause us to walk with joy and cause us to walk with humility as we give honor to Christ, we pray in his name. Amen.